Hey there, this is Angie Wachowski. Now many of you know me as Angie Morgan, and I've got a quick update. Under the cloak of COVID, I remarried my college boyfriend, and he got two boys in the process, and I got a boat, a dog, and I'm not even joking, a commercial grade nacho cheese machine. Now you can decide for yourself who got the better trade, and you might say two boys are a lot of responsibility, but you've never had a boat maybe? Boats are a ton of responsibility. Either way, we are so happy. And so I'm really excited to be here today to launch Bet On You Radio. We are broadcasting from Traverse City, Michigan, where I live, and we get to be in this great studio and feature risk takers, people who've inspired me, who've um, ignited my imagination, and we get to hear their stories. And my hope is that you get to, from their stories, see yourself in their actions, in their behaviors, and maybe even get that feeling too, that there's this goal that you have for yourself, that you can do it to you too. Like I like to think about the people who are coming into the studio as really just ordinary, extraordinary human beings. And again, you're not gonna be disappointed. So we are launching Bet On You Radio on September 10th. And it, it does have, of course, close proximity to September 11th. Many of you know that I am a Marine. My husband's a Marine. My dad's a Marine. My senior in high school is considering joining the Marines. We'll see if that's going to happen or not. My first guest is also a part of the Marine Corps family, and her name is Shannon Span DeBrian. She's here to share her story of life um, as a CIA officer and being a part of the military community and losing her husband in a really tragic circumstance right after 9-11. You're going to hear her story, and there's probably a lot of questions that you have. My hope is that when we're done talking to Shannon, you feel inspired to overcome whatever it is that's holding you back, to be more authentic, to be more wholehearted, and to really recognize that each day of ours is a tremendous gift to be and to feel connected to the people around you. So with that, I've got Shannon right here. Thank you so much, my friend. I was thinking about this as you were coming in today. Yeah. We have been friends for several years. We met through our kids. Yeah. Preschool. Preschool. And who were we to think that they could learn Chinese at this Ivy I Community School? I was so excited until the school closed, of course. I know. That was fun times. I know. Thanks and for having me. You're welcome. And you're not a Northern Michigan native, are you? No. I was born and raised in California. Went to school there. Never really had plans to leave there until my, around my late 20s. And you have to tell your story of what happened then, because I think you've got yeah. one of the best stories of how you found yourself mm. as a CIA officer, because most people who are considering going into that level of service, mm. uh, maybe they try to network their way in, mm. get a specific skill or a degree, but not you. Yeah. So when I was in my late 20s, I was looking for a new career, and Bill Clinton was president then. And he made a decision to sort of plus up the ranks of the clandestine service. And he actually, I think that was the first time in CIA history that they actively recruited in the public. So I saw an ad in The Economist magazine and replied to that. Never, I mean, I was applying to a lot of different law firms and other places at that time. Never thought I would hear back from them. But about a year and a half later, there I was moving to Washington. <laughs> what was that first call like? Were you just surprised? Because obviously it wasn't yeah. taken on a cell phone, was it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> was yeah. it? Uh, okay. Well, no, back then it was probably my home line. Uh, yeah. And of course, the recruiters are on East Coast time. I was on West Coast time. So the guy calls me, uh, 
you know, this is John, not his real name, from the CIA. And it was like six in the morning for me. I was thankfully reading the newspaper and having my coffee at the time he called. But yeah, they just call for the first phone interview and then a long series of things happens after that. But what does that mean to be like a clandestine clandestine officer? Mm. Tell me about that, because that sounds really unique and special. And it is. Yeah, it's in practice, it's a little less unique than you might think. But in theory, uh, so basically the job of a clandestine service officer is to sort of uncover the plans and intentions of whether it's foreign governments or in my case, I was in counterterrorism. So uh, terrorist networks around the world, you, you develop relationships with people who know what the bad guys are planning and doing and um, sort of help them to tell you. <laughs> so you're probably really great at interviewing people. We should have the mics turned around. Oh, well, <laughs> you'd be surprised what I could get you to tell me about yourself. <laughs> All you need to do is bring a bottle of wine over, Shannon. <laughs> I think that's the only true serum I need. And so while you were in the CIA, um, you met your husband. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a story in itself. I mean, I went to CIA at a time that I was looking for a lot of change in my life. So I wanted to go and travel the world and do dangerous stuff and not rely on anyone or need anyone. And instead, I went there and shortly after training, married one of my classmates. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, we trained <laughs> together. Mike Spann, uh, he, he came to CIA as a special operator from the Marines but he did all of the regular case officer training with the rest of us. So, um, so yeah, Mike and I met on the first day, and we were married a short time after training ended. Uh, and then actually not long after that was September 11th, and since Mike was a special operator, he was chosen to be on one of the first teams, the CIA teams that went behind enemy lines in Afghanistan shortly after 9-11. Do you recall how that felt for you? Because obviously, as a CIA officer yourself, you're prepared to yeah. you know, act on behalf of your country, but now as a spouse on the other side of it. Yeah, it's interesting, because I remember having a conversation with my friend Melissa, who was also a classmate of ours. And I had three, you know, I was being a mom to three small children at that time. So as far as the risk, that's that's where I felt it, you know, more as a mother than as a CIA officer. But I remember talking to Melissa and she said, oh, Shannon, you know, don't worry about it. The CIA has been so risk averse for so long. It's going to be fine. Nothing's going to happen. Um, I'm not sure any of us believed that at the time or even wanted to believe that. We wanted to go and accomplish a, a difficult mission in a short amount of time, which is a risky undertaking. Uh, so in November of that year, 20, uh, 2001, Mike was killed in um, the Kala Ijangi Fortress outside Mazari Sharif. Going back to where we started, when we first met here in northern Michigan mm -hmm. and you know, we were, you know, rolling our kids in kindergarten yeah. later that night, you know, we had a change. I think once we both realized that we were a part of, you know, me and the Marine Corps yeah. and you were part of the Marine family and being in the CIA, we made that connection. You reached out to me and yeah. I had a chill just because mm. I remember that. I remember that event. I remember that mm. significance. And I just felt, wow, you know, to 
hear your story and to see you was was quite powerful for mm. me. And I want to go back a little bit of time too. Where were you on September 11th? Uh, when the planes hit the Twin Towers, I was at the grocery store with Jake. He were was you? he was uh, four months old. Well, no, on September 11th he was two months old. So I was on leave, uh, maternity leave with him. Yeah, and Mike was at headquarters. What did you think when you first heard about, I guess, the first plane hitting the tower? Did you even have a sense that this yeah. was... I mean, I was at the store, as I said, and I was hearing people say a plane crashed, and I thought, oh, that's so weird. It must have been a light aircraft that got disoriented, or how does that happen? But as soon as I got home and turned on the news, in fact, Mike called shortly thereafter to check on us, and his first words were, it's war. And we knew, uh, being in counterterrorism, this was the, the main thing that we feared and anticipated. So it wasn't long before we understood what it was really happening. I was, at that time, in pharmaceutical sales training. I had just left active duty 10 days before wow. 9-11. I didn't know that. Yeah, and I felt really torn. Mm -hmm. You know, I, no at doubt. the time, I was married to a Marine who was active duty. Wow. And I was leaving for my career to not be in the military. As far as I was concerned, I was getting the heck out of the yeah. Marine Corps yeah. and living my life. Yeah. It was such a strange, strange time. You'd mentioned that you had three children, and I've mm -hmm. met your son, Jake. I want to talk about Emily and Allison, mm -hmm. too, because these weren't your children, but yeah. they were living with you at the yeah. time. Yeah, uh, Allison and Emily's mom died young from cancer, yeah. and then I and I married their dad, and then he was lost to the war. So at that time, it was Jake and Allison and Emily and me, just uh, continuing my path at CIA, doing what I came there to do. And so I, I should say I misspoke. They very much are your children because I think of them that way. I know. Yeah, for sure. I can't even begin to imagine the overwhelming amount of grief and pain mm. living in a house where you lose your husband. Mm. Your son obviously doesn't understand the change. But sure. Don't tell me kids can't pick up on emotion, right? Yeah, they do. And then you have two girls who just lost both of their parents. Where yeah. do you where do you go for healing? I mean, how yeah. do you even triage yeah. the pain? That, that comes, for me, it came literally over the course of the next 20 years and is still continuing work because you might understand this as a Marine. I felt at that time wrongly that it was my duty to the kids to keep us moving. We're keeping this stuff together. We're continuing our path. We're showing everyone we can do it. We're um, not going to get overwhelmed. And so I stuffed a lot of what needed to be named and felt and processed at the time just for the sake of continuing to keep moving. And, of course, looking back on that now, I understand a lot more about the grieving process, and I wouldn't suggest that path to anyone. <laughs> but to be honest, that's the one I took. And it really caught up with me not until about 15 years later. How so? Well, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, and I couldn't keep doing all the things that I had been doing, and I, it really slowed me down. I had to slow down and pay attention to my body and pay attention to my experience, 
uh, name the things that had harmed me and my kids and spent a lot of time working with a counselor to provide a safe environment to she she put it in terms of um, I told her that my grief felt as big as Lake Michigan and she said okay well let's take this cup down to the shore of Lake Michigan and bring back just this much and we'll talk about that and I've been bringing up a cup of grief from Lake Michigan every Tuesday since 2015. (laughs) That is an amazing way to think about managing Mm. whatever pain because I I know when you lost Mike that was powerful and overwhelming I imagine Mm -hmm. and it was a national headline yeah, yeah I mean everything changed for you I yeah. can't even imagine the attention you're on the cover I mean you were Arlington yeah holding baby Jake yeah and there were pictures all over the world of you quite a change from being a clandestine officer to front yeah. page of the New York Times and your career yeah obviously changed too yeah yeah and you moved to Australia Australia yeah at that time, I, my, the focus of my career shifted. I was still in counterterrorism, but obviously not undercover anymore after all that media attention. So I turned to working with uh, foreign governments that we were partnered with in the Southeast Asia re- region against the terror group called Jamaa Islamiya. Where was your support network at the time, or did you build it in Australia? You know, that's I built it in Australia, really. I had a lot of kind... Australian friends and some of the liaison that I worked with as well became my lifelong friends. That's, that is one of the lonely things about CIA is you move every two to three years and your best friends, the people you trained with, you know, you usually don't serve with them again. They're all over the place. So it is a matter of rebuilding community everywhere you go. Oh, yeah. Well, that very much sounds like the Marine Corps. I still have, like, the best friends who I haven't talked to in 15 yeah. years, right? But I know if I met them right. at a various places, we could just pick up on our conversations. Yeah. So you then, um, when you were, you know, I'd say healing and recovering mm. or maybe denying and stuffing mm. <laughs> or maybe a mix of all that, you met your husband, Tice, there. Yeah. At that time, I was, as I mentioned, uh, pursuing targets in Jamaa Islamiya as a targeting officer in the counter-terrorist center. And Tice was serving in senior leadership in Indonesia, where Jamaa Islamiya was most active. They were bombing U.S. interests and uh, Australian interests and um, hotels and different places in that region at the time. So he and I had a lot of opportunity to work together against that effort. Um, so short time after we moved, we were, we were both stationed back in the U.S. a little while after that, and uh, we got married in the U.S., and he was born in Traverse City, so that's how we wound up here. <laughs> he brought you here in the summer, didn't he? He did. <laughs> June. My first visit to T.C. was in June, and we lived here. We decided to leave CIA and move to Traverse on that trip, and we were here by August. So I never peaked at Traverse City in the winter months. Boy, aren't you glad you didn't? I am. We never would have met, Maybe not. Maybe not. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to wrap with just some final questions I'd love to hear for you, just life lessons you've picked up on your journey that I know are going to be invaluable for our listeners. Thanks. 
Hey everyone, this is Angie Wachowski. I'm one of the co-authors of Bet On You. This is the companion to the radio program. So if you're enjoying what you're listening to, check out this book. Inside there's some really great guidance and a code that takes you to an online platform that helps you dream better and imagine ways that you can bet on yourself. Check it out. You know, Shannon, as you were talking about your grief and stuffing a sack, I think that's something that really resonated with me because as a Marine, you don't show your emotion because sure. if you show your emotion, it's like game over, right? right? Especially in training. You just don't. So I think, you know, you tend to think of strength as yes. this internal suffering. And I think a lot of us actually yeah. get raised that way. And that's not the message I think we're trying to promote here because, you know, when we think about taking risks in our life, which is the point of bet on you, we can think about physical risks. We can think about taking risks for our values, but sometimes some of the biggest risks is confronting ourself, yeah. unhealthy patterns, being vulnerable, with right. other people. And you'd shared earlier when we were talking about this show that learning to tell yourself the truth about what you feel has been the most transformative thing of the last decade, probably one of the biggest risks yeah. that you've taken. I'd love to hear you talk yeah. a little bit more about that. Absolutely. I think, yeah, learning to tell myself the truth about how I feel. This was not you know, we all develop as part of our personalities, automatic patterns of thinking, feeling, and acting. And my patterns of thinking and feeling are, you know, sort of very type A, go, 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 learn, do, achieve, and all of that. And I had really left behind the skill of emotional maturity in terms of interrogating reality for, you know, what is um, real to my griefs and desires. So joining a safe community of other people who are also looking for emotional and spiritual maturity is really what helped me to be able to name those griefs and desires and to then experience healing both in my body and my spirit. And, and as far as risk-taking goes, I think it could easily be said that falling in love with Tice was the biggest risk I've taken in my life. Because after you experience that much sort of loss and suffering, your listeners will probably agree that it would be very easy to just say, okay, not going there again. That is way too painful. Uh, so I do consider sort of, I mean, people might consider me a risk taker for joining the CIA and participating in counterterrorism. But for me, that was less risky because I'm an action-oriented thinker. But to take a risk in the area of emotion, that feels very that feels riskier to me than it does these other activities that I was involved in. Oh, I get that entirely. In your phrase, interrogating reality. Yeah. That's I stole that from Susan Scott. <laughs> oh, really? um, her her book, Fierce Conversations. That chapter on interrogating reality is my love language, totally. <laughs> she is so skilled at helping uh, people understand the value of having honest conversation with yourself and others. So book recommendation for your listeners. Oh, thank you for that. Oh, and I was going to go to that, my five questions that I wanted to ask you. So a book that inspired yeah. you. Was that the book that inspired you? Yeah, I was thinking about it in terms, it really, so that book came out, it's not new, it came out in 2002 when I was you know, busy being a single mom, but I discovered it recently and it has given me the uh, sort of encouragement to continue on this process of naming the truth and telling my story more truthfully, mostly to myself. Um, 
Yeah, she's good at that. You know, we were just talking before we launched into our conversation too about the second half of life. Yeah. I mean, what a magical joy really to think about. I'm starting the second half of my life with embracing all of me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not just the risks that you take in your choices, but yeah. the emotions that you get to bring to the journey. Mm-hmm. Can you share a piece of feedback that helped you that was illuminating to you? That's yeah. my second question. I love you. that question about feedback because most of the feedback that we get in life is either unsolicited or unsafe, right? I mean, people are constantly giving us feedback we didn't ask for, they haven't earned the right to, or they're delivering it in an immature and unsafe way. So I think as far as feedback, the comment I'd like to make to the audience on that is um, what a beautiful opportunity for growth it can be, but only if you are in a community where they see you for who you really are, they're providing safety, they're wanting to serve you by offering that feedback, and they're setting you up for success in terms of how can I build on this feedback. So a lot of, I think what a lot of listeners probably need to do is disregard a lot of the feedback that's coming to them, (laughs) right? In those unsafe ways and find yourself a community that will provide feedback in a safe way. When that happens, you can use it really as an opportunity for, for growth. Yeah. I just heard from my 11 year old, you know, my brother and I were talking and we decided that you mom were blah, blah, blah. And I just, am like, this is feedback. You're laying it down. I am not picking this up. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And then I would love to hear from you. You know, our listeners um, live in this region. I'd love to hear from you, just something you do love about Northern Michigan. So maybe a favorite activity that you do here. Yeah. Something that. If it involves trees or water, you will find me there. I just, the forests that we have to hike and mountain bike in, I recently signed up to be a, um, what they call a sweeper on the Norte mountain bike team. Yeah, Lucas really enjoys riding with them. And in the fall, they needed volunteers for, like the sweepers are the ones that trail behind. (laughs) I won't be in the front, but I can manage being in the back. So we'll be riding bikes this fall. Uh, Both of our sons have Learn to sail through tax. Traverse Area Community Sailing is an awesome sailing school and provides such great community, such a great group of kids. So having the boys sail me around in lasers and sunfish and that kind of thing, that those are two of my favorite things to be on the water here and in the that. woods. Good, but we've got plenty of that, woods and water. Mm-hmm. Until it turns to ice, of course, but that's the other story. Yeah, then you put on your <laughs> snowshoes and skis. Yeah, just make make do with it. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear favorite restaurant or favorite place to eat in this region. Favorite place to eat would actually be my own table at my house. Not because yeah. the food is so good, but just because I love doing stuff like this, having great conversations with with interesting people that I love. Uh, but if someone else is going to cook for me, I would ride my bike to farm club. Oh, I love sitting out there. trying to, yes, make my way there. That's yeah. a really great call out. And one of the last questions is, what's one thing you've learned in life that you think is really important to share with others out of all these lessons? Yeah, I, I read a prayer by... Macrina Whitaker, who's a spiritual author once, and she said, and the prayer was, God, help me to believe the truth about myself, no matter how beautiful it is. And I think that beautiful stands out to us so much, because in our culture, we expect it to be, no matter how bad it is, let me believe the truth. But I think 
maybe one of your listeners, the next risk that they need to take is creating enough stillness and space internally to hear the voice of love in their, you know, that still small voice in their heart that tells them the beautiful truth about their story. And when we make space for that kind of truth, you know, you never know what kind of risks it might lead to taking. Oh my gosh, that is wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks, That's a wonderful Angie. just way to end this conversation. I just want to conclude with thanking um, Morsels, our sponsor. You had no choice. My husband and I own this business. So thank you for <laughs> the Morsel Coffee today. And I also want to thank WTCM for hosting this program on their 580 AM station. And please, for those listeners, if you have any thoughts, questions, or even know of guests that you think would be great guests for this program, email me at Angie at AngieWitkowski.com. Mm-hmm.